Well, good morning, everyone. Great. Uh, well, I can't see you, but great to have you online. Uh, if it's afternoon or evening when you are watching this, uh, good afternoon, good evening. Hope you're all well and doing and doing great. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We're grateful that he takes what is yours and reveals it to us. We're grateful that we can hear what is on your heart through your Holy Spirit. We ask today that you would speak to our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that you would reveal to us what you desire to reveal to us. We pray, Lord God, for an impartation from your Holy Spirit, a quickening in our inner man. We pray for faith to rise, for hope to rise, Lord God. We pray that you would have your way as we hear this word. And may it take root in our hearts and grow and bear hundredfold fruit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am going to be sharing a message today. I'm actually starting a series of two messages today entitled A New Season. And I believe it's a prophetic word for us as Go Church. And so, yeah, uh, a new season. This is part one. And I'm going to kick us off by reading a scripture that many of us are quite familiar with. Um, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 to 8. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate. A time of war, a time of peace. And so often when we read through this, we read through it as though it's obvious. We read through it as though, of course, that's, that's common sense. We see it all around us. We understand this. You know, we see winter, spring, summer, autumn, or maybe in Gauteng, winter, summer, winter, summer. <laughs> okay, which I don't complain about, by the way. But we see seasons around us in the natural world. We see seasons in people's lives. And yet somehow as Christians, we think, we should be at the same level of fruitfulness and in the same place um, of, you know, at maximum, showing maximum fruit, maximum gifting, maximum grace, maximum productivity, all throughout our spiritual walk with Christ. But this isn't the case. Um, as we've just read in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. And we go through different seasons in God and they're different spiritual seasons. And it helps us when we can identify what the season is or what God is doing so that we can position ourselves appropriately and work with God. And um, the Lord started speaking to me last Sunday about a change in season for the church, for our church, Go Christian Church. Um, and it's a change in season in an individual capacity for many of us, I believe, um, but it's a change of season that is coming. And at the beginning of the year, he spoke, he was speaking a lot about a season of waiting on him, a season of persevering and difficulties, a season of holding on to hope. 
And for many of us, it has been a season of waiting. It's been a season of persevering when there hasn't been a whole lot of fruit that we've seen. It's been a sort of a winter, um, if we can classify it like a winter where, you know, we don't see any new life coming forth. We don't see a lot of um, new fruitfulness happening. Uh, but I believe that the season is changing for Go Christian Church and for many of us. And Isaiah 35 is a beautiful picture of this. Um, yeah. Before I read this, I just want to preempt it by saying that I understand that we're not all on the same track. And so for some, the season may not quite be changing to spring. The season might not be that. And I do want to put that in there. Um, but I want to say that what I'm sensing in my spirit, what I'm sensing in my heart is the Lord speaking about a change of season for many of us and a change of season for Go Christian Churches. So Isaiah 35 verse 1 to 10. Listen to this. It's such an incredibly beautiful picture. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb, dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth, forth, burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Amen. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. And we say, yes, Lord. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Mark Buchanan, in his book entitled Spiritual Rhythm, Being with Jesus Every Season of Your Soul, he describes this transformation and change of season from winter to spring so beautifully. And I'm going to read this portion from his book. If you can listen up and just envision what he's saying. He says, this past year, my family and I spent several Sunday evenings watching the remarkable BBC documentary series, Planet Earth. David Attenborough's measured and dignified voice narrates the sweeping story of forest and ocean, desert and, and tundra, whales and winged things, polar bears and tree frogs, the infinite, intricate strangeness and beauty of this resilient yet fragile planet we inhabit. My favorite parts were the time-lapse sequences. And then he describes a few of these and then he continues to say, but the time-lapse sequence I liked the most was the Kalahari Desert. It starts in hot and dusty barrenness. The few animals out in it are barely surviving. 
They gaunt from hunger, half mad with thirst. A herd of elephants makes a desperate journey to find water. Their massive footfalls and send thick plumes of dust hundreds of feet sky high, trailing them for miles. The weak ones lay down and die. The rest walk day after day past the skeletons of the trees and animals. And then one day, a trickle of water flowing from seasonal rains in the highlands of, of Angola threads down to the desert floor. In time lapse, we watch a miracle unfold. The thread of water becomes a stream and then a river and the river carves out a bed and then spills it sprawling over parched earth. Grass springs up beneath, beneath its kiss. Then trees seemingly dead burst with bloom. Great reeds flourish. It becomes a lake, a vast glinting wetland surrounding an archipelago of lush ground. Everywhere and all at once, death turns to life. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. The cameras take us back to what's happening in the Kalahari. It's become an aqua playground. Amphibious things teem along reedy shores. Baboons wade through lagoons like fastidious old women in their Sunday best, trying to stone step a creek. Spindly legged birds with scissor-like beaks wait still and watchful in the shallows. Then, lightning quick, plunge their heads in the water and come up with fish. Where did they come from? Bejeweling their mouths. But best of all are those elephants. They play in that water like otters. They dive and torpedo, splash and dance. They gallop along the bottom and thrust their huge heads up, trumpeting water through their trunks in a fanfare of joy. The long and desperate march through desolation could not be farther behind them, even though, implausibly, the place they now frolic only weeks ago was that very wasteland. I can't think of a more vivid picture of hope flooding where hope had died. Isn't that spring? The beauty of Isaiah 35 is that it captures both a reality and a hope. It's a reality this indeed will happen, just as the Kalahari will bloom. But Isaiah also uses the desert into garden image to portray a hope fulfilled, a spiritual longing coming to fruition. In essence, he tells us what it feels like when God is on the move. God changes everything and utterly and with breathtaking swiftness. The impossible, impossible becomes the inevitable. Desert turns to garden where death reigned, life triumphs. This is such a beautiful and incredible word picture of what a change in season can look like. And I believe that this is what we as Go Church are going to be going through. We're going through such a season of change. Again, why is it important for us to understand seasons and what season we're in and what season God is moving us into? Well, it helps us to position ourselves aright. It helps us to understand what to expect, what to look for. It helps us to um, dig down deep and begin to hope again, dream again with God. You know, I remember just to illustrate this, I want to share, um, I want to share what happened a few years ago. I was watching one of our sons play soccer 
uh, it was an inter-school soccer match and I was watching one of the one of the one of the plays in the middle of the soccer match um, and I noticed that one of our sons who will remain nameless um, he was playing in the position of a central striker at the time and he passed the ball out to the winger um, who was running up the wing at the time and our son then slowed down as if he was giving up and I remember shouting to him that he should run and get into space because I could see that the wing might want to cross to him so that he can score and he was he he'd stopped moving quickly he was kind of like hanging back now and I could see by the the, the slant of his shoulders that there was unbelief that was setting and he didn't believe that there was even going to be an opportunity for him to score. He didn't think it would happen. And, and of course it didn't happen because when the, the wing got there, there was no one to pass the ball to and there was no goal that happened. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart and he said to me this, he said, when you believe, it positions you aright. For the next move. When you believe, it positions you aright for the next move. The fact is that if my son at that time in that play had believed that there was a possibility that they might score, if he, he would have run up, he would have run into space, he would have positioned himself to make the goal a possibility, but he didn't believe. And because he didn't believe, he wasn't positioned aright. And so because he didn't believe and wasn't positioned aright, the goal was an impossibility. And it's such an apt picture of the importance of understanding what God is doing and understanding seasons. Um, and I love how God the Father speaks. And he spoke to me so clearly and showed me the consequences of unbelief. And he showed me that whilst um, whilst he showed me the consequences of unbelief, while showing me that belief doesn't mean you have to live in an unrealistic world. You know, right positioning in our hearts causes right positioning of ourselves, which opens up the next move. And that is why understanding what God is doing in terms of seasons is so important. And so with that as an introduction, I'm going to turn to the passage, I'm going to present the passage before you that we're going to be looking at today in my message. And we're going to be looking at the passage from Matthew chapter 14, um, and it's verse 22 onwards. And the same passage of, of, of scripture that the account is also found in Mark 6 and John 6, but we're going to, we'll, we'll use some of the information provided from Mark and John. If you want to go there and read it, there you can. But we're going to be specifically looking at Matthew's account of this. And the context of this passage is that um, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. We know it was likely more than 5,000. Um, but he tried to get away from the crowds. He wanted to be by himself. He wanted to pray. They followed him, pursued him. Um, and so he, the Bible said he was actually moved with compassion for them. And in that place, he wanted to be with his father, be alone. They pursued him. He was moved with compassion. And so he ministered to them. He healed the sick. Um, he also fed them. He, you know, multiplied five loaves and two fish and fed over 5,000 men, women, and children. And when he had done, when he was done doing that, he was then continuing with the same goal that he'd had before the multitudes had followed him, of spending time with his father. And he sent his disciples across the sea to Capernaum. 
So he still wanted to spend time in prayer. And that's the backdrop to where we pick up the passage of scripture for today. Matthew 14, verse 22 to 34. I'm going to read the entire scripture to us so we're familiar with it. And then I'll draw our attention to specific uh, verses. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he'd sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to, the, spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And so Jesus said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then they got into the boat and the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And so here we see that the disciples had been sent across the Sea of Galilee, across the sea, and um, they'd been rowing from late in the afternoon. They'd been rowing into the evening. They'd been rowing through most of the night. We see that there'd been a great wind that had arisen. And there'd been really big waves on the sea. And Mark tells us that Jesus, from up on the mountain in his place of prayer, he could see them from there. And he could see them straining at the oars in the evening um, as the wind was against them. He saw them. But they didn't know that he was watching. So Jesus could see them. I, if, it, if there was a storm on the sea and there, were great, there was great wind and great waves, I'm not sure that Jesus being up on the mountain could see them with his natural sight. You know, maybe he saw them. Maybe the Lord showed him as he was in prayer. But however, he knew. He knew because he saw them. And the wind had resulted in big waves. The waves were tossing them around. And Matthew says that Jesus came walking to them in the fourth watch of the night. In other words, in the early hours of the morning. So just let's just pause there. So they were rowing from late afternoon through the night into the early hours of the morning. And John, if we read John's account of this, we hear that they actually only rowed about three to four miles before they just saw Jesus walking towards them in the fourth watch. So it must have been really stormy and really difficult going for them to row most of the evening through the night into the early hours of the morning and only travel three to four hours. And how can I say that? Well, I can say that because a reasonable swimmer can swim four miles in about two hours or so. So for them to be rowing and they only traveled four miles and it took them all evening through the night into the early hours of the morning. It must have been really rough. It must have been really, really tough going. Now, I'm sure for those disciples, I'm sure, pretty sure Jesus was praying for them through the night. I mean, we're informed that it was in his time of prayer that he saw them straining at the oars. 
But the situation was such that these disciples had to struggle against the wind and the waves and had to keep rowing and trying to keep moving forward for many, many hours without respite, without seeing or hearing from the Lord Jesus and without knowing that he was aware of their situation. And that was the context within which Jesus chose to show up in. You see, God loves to show up and change things when they're almost impossible God loves to show up and change things when they're near death. He loves to show up and change things when they look like they are beyond any hope at all. Why? Because then it really, we really know that it really is God. Okay. And from this particular passage, I'm wanting to draw some lessons regarding seasons for us. And you take, if the shoe fits, you, 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 can, you can wear it. The first lesson I'm wanting to take from this particular passage of scripture is that we need to choose to be a disciple. We need to choose to be a disciple. I want to ask you today, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Matthew 14 verse 22 says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Regardless of your season, choose to be a disciple, not one of the multitudes. You know, do you come to Jesus for what he can do for you and what he can give you only like the multitudes in this particular uh, account? Or do you come to Jesus fully submitted and willing to obey him and his complete instructions, willing to go where it's difficult for him if necessary? Many people come to Jesus like the multitudes came to Jesus. They wanted to be fed. They wanted to be healed. They wanted, they wanted, they wanted. But when the time came when Jesus was saying, was sending people to do what he wanted to do, he didn't send the multitudes to do anything for him. He sent them away. He sent his disciples. He was going to be in the boat with his disciples. It was his disciples who were going to experience this incredible, these miracles and this incredible um, change and suspension of certain natural laws of, of you know, of, of the earth that we'll get into just now. It was his disciples that to, were to experience those types of things, experience Jesus in their boat with him, an acceleration, so to speak. I want to encourage us that we need to choose to be disciples. Are you like one of the disciples? Are you one of those to whom Jesus can give specific instructions on where to go and what to do and you will obey even if it's difficult? Are you one of those who hears God's word, hears his instructions in his written word and will obey it even if it's uncomfortable, even if it doesn't feel good in the flesh? Because that's what a disciple does. Number one, we need to be disciples. Number two, another lesson we can learn from this particular passage of scriptures that we need to keep rowing and for many of us this season for most of this year and maybe more than this year it's been that we, we've been keeping rowing and we need to keep rowing we need to keep rowing in our season of relentless challenges we need to keep doing what we know we should be doing we need to keep doing good and making sure we don't lose heart whilst doing good, reminding ourselves that in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You know, Jesus sent his disciples and he gave them specific instructions of where to go, yet they encountered great difficulties in making progress. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus sent them, yet it was difficult. 
Have you been sent by God? Has he given you a word? Has he given you some instructions? Has he given you a desire, a passion? Has he placed something in your heart to birth and bring forth? Has he given you something that he wants you to start? Has he spoken clearly concerning something for your life? And the next question is, have you encountered great resistance? Has the progress been almost impossible? Has it felt or does it feel like God has abandoned you, that he doesn't he doesn't know where you are, that he can't see you, maybe he doesn't care. Does it feel like you've possibly been abandoned by God? Because if you can answer yes to any of these, any and all of these questions, I want to tell you today that you are in good company. You are in good company. Jesus sent the disciples, yet they encountered difficulties. They encountered wind. They encountered waves. They encountered stalling. They encountered lots of hiccups along the way. Why, as Christians, do we think it will always be plain sailing when Jesus has sent us? We get this vision or this word and it's burning in our heart and we think it's just going to come to pass like this. You know, it doesn't often happen like that. And there are times and there are seasons when we are literally in the in-between time. We're in between the time when God gave us the word or the desire or the vision or, or something to birth and its fulfillment or its fruition or its birthing. There's that in-between time. And you know what? I think God loves that in-between time because it's that in-between time in which God works so deeply in our hearts. And we see it in the lives of so many biblical characters. We see it in the life of Joseph. I'm sure I don't need to go there. We see it in the life of David. We see it in so many um, characters in the Bible. And we experience this ourselves. And these times, these in-between times, these times, these seasons where it's relentlessly hard and difficult and apparently fruitless. These are the seasons where God wants to reveal our hearts. The seasons where God works character in us. Seasons where he prepares us and the circumstances around us. Um, readies all of these things for his purposes. And so they're, impo they're important and God is working in them. We even see it in the Israelites in the wilderness. God was working in them. And so it's important. So we've looked at um, the first lesson that I wanted to challenge us regarding today was that we need to choose to be a disciple. The second one is that we need to keep rowing. We got to keep rowing, whether it's hard, whether it's not, whatever is happening, whether there's water coming at us, wind at us, we got to keep rowing. The third lesson that I'm wanting to draw from this particular portion of scripture is that we remember that God does actually see us. In Mark 4, verse 47 to 48, it says, Now when the evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Boat was in the middle of the sea with the disciples. They weren't with Jesus. He was alone on the land. And he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. It's important to, for us to remember that God and know that God actually does see us. God sees God knows. God understands. He's aware of our situation. He's aware 
of our situation. I love that scripture from Isaiah 40 verse 27 to 31. It says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord? Why do you say God can't see me? Why do you say my just claim is passed over by my God? Why do you say that? And then he goes on, Isaiah goes on to speak about God and his understanding and his, and his generosity in terms of giving power and strength to the weak and the weary. Hallelujah. I want to share um, an experience that I may have shared with a number of you. I may have shared in a message, but I rode a race um, in April of uh, last year, actually. It was a Cullen to Tonteldurst race. And it was a very intense race. It, it was a 230 or so. No, uh, we, I rode it in a par, with a partner and we each rode about 130 k's. And my uh, section was a lot of climbing. It was over 2,000 meters of elevation. Um, it was mo actually most of the race for me was elevation climbing. And the, I rode from lunchtime into the night and I finished around 9 p.m. at night. Um, and it was very hot at lunchtime. By the time I finished, the temperatures had dropped to near freezing. And as I was cycling, I remember as I was cycling, I got to about 4, 5, 6 p.m. And I was still fine. My gear, my, my granny gear on my bike was no longer working. So it was really tough because on all the climbs, I was so afraid my chain was going to break on my bicycle. It was a mountain bike race. Um, anyway, so was cycling and as I got to the last sort of 20-30 k's of the race it started to rain and it was very cold and it was very muddy and we had big dongas in the road and um, I was so covered in mud and my bike was so covered in mud it was heavy and I was wet and my light was starting to show that it was going flat and the race was very sparsely populated there were people that were way behind me people way in front of me and it was pitch 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 black and I remember I had a tracking device on me I was using my Garmin GPS it was we used a, a GPS directions for the race and I had um, so I knew that my husband could track me but I didn't know if my if it was still my battery was still working or if it was flat and it was dark 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 and my light was failing and there were some portions that I couldn't ride my bike they were too steep and I was afraid I was going to break my chains I had to walk so it was really, really slow going and I was freezing and then the mist came and the, it was misty and foggy and it was drizzling with rain and literally I could see about 10 centimeters in front of my, my bike wheel and I would just cycle until I saw it hit the end, edge of the road and then I would recalibrate and cycle until I hit the edge of the road and that's how I was cycling and I remember feeling this feeling like, like this fear like, God, I feel like I am so alone. It is so dark. I, do, I passed the ER vehicle stuck in the mud. There was nobody. I didn't know when anybody would be coming past me. If anyone would come past me, if I stopped, 
I, I felt so alone in the, at the end of that race. I remember that feeling. And I remember praying like, God, are you there? God, fix my bike chain, please. I just want to cycle. I don't want to walk. You know, God, please help me, God. And my lights was, was getting, um, I couldn't put it on any brighter setting. It was going flat, the battery. I was terrified my battery was going flat. I didn't know if anyone knew where I was. And I didn't know necessarily how much longer I would still be on the route. It was a really scary experience. Um, traumatic, actually. Um, but I did finish. I finished at nine. I was absolutely exhausted. Finished in more ways than one. Um, yes, I'm glad I did it. Psychologically, it was a real challenge. But I remember after that going to God and just saying, Lord, this was such a traumatic experience for me towards the end. And um, just asking him really to speak to me. And he, he shared from Psalm 139, verse 11 to 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the night shall be the only light about me. Even the darkness hides nothing from you, but the light shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. What was he saying to me? He was just saying, Trace, you weren't hidden from me by the darkness of the night. And you know what was so interesting was I felt so alone. I felt like nobody knew where I was. I was sure my Garmin wasn't working, my tracking device, my GPS tracking device. And I found out when I got to the end of the race that my husband and my, my riding partner and a whole lot of people from our training team were actually tracking me. They could see where I was. They knew exactly where I was. And so I was in that space. I felt completely alone, like the disciples, like, you know, I'm sure they felt like that. Like, can Jesus even see what we're going through? He sent us. Does he even know what these conditions are like? You know, and but all the while for me, I was being watched. I was being observed. People could see where I was. If I stopped, you know, if I completely just sat down, they would know where to find me. And it's this, it's the same it's the same um, lesson that I'm wanting to draw from this particular scripture that Jesus could actually see them straining at the oars, but they didn't know that. And just to encourage us that God is aware, there is no place. The rest of Psalm 139 is so beautiful. There's nowhere that I can go. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you know, his right hand will still be there. He will still guide us. He will still lead us. He knows exactly where we are. He knows where to find us. He knows what he needs to do to get us to be at the right place at the right time and on time. God is very aware, which leads me to the fourth lesson that I'm wanting to draw from this particular portion of scripture. And we find it in Matthew 14 verse, tw um, in Matthew 14 verse 25. It says, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So Jesus did show up. He did show up. When he showed up, the disciples hadn't drowned. They hadn't died. His purposes hadn't been thwarted by the storm. He did show up. And it's the same for us. When he shows up, we wouldn't have drowned. We won't have died. His purposes won't have been thwarted by our storm, by whatever we've been facing. Jesus will show up. And I think at this point, I just, I just want to say something. I've heard so many well-meaning Christians exclaiming after something tragic happens or something unexplain, unexplain, uh, unexplainable happens. 
oh well it must have been God's will someone dies oh well it must have been God's will something happens we don't understand someone has an accident oh well it must have been God's will because you know whatever is meant to happen will happen you know um, or they say well God allowed it to happen so it will just work out for the good you know because it happened and um, and God will work it out for the good because that's what he just does well I want to just come in at that point and say yes God shows up but I want to say something cute cliches just because they feel nice to our emotions uh, it doesn't make them true just because we can comfort ourselves with some cute cliche it doesn't mean it's true and I want to caution us for using these cute cliches to try to comfort people because I don't think they're always true um, we're instructed in the book of Hosea that we God's people perish for a lack of knowledge. It doesn't say we perish because we have no knowledge. It says we perish due to a lack of knowledge. So ignorance is not bliss. That should scare us um, a bit to dig into our Bibles and to pursue certain studies. Okay, Not scare in a bad way, but put the fear of, of ignorance into us. So ignorance is not bliss. We can't comfort ourselves with sayings just because they're popular, because they make us feel better about situations at an emotional level. We can't assume what others say is true just because many people say the same thing. We need to go to the Word of God to find out truth. Truth is not a personal preference. Truth is not a feeling. Truth is not what I think. Truth is absolute. In other words, it doesn't change. It doesn't change from person to person. It's not your truth and my truth. It's truth. It's not the previous generation's truth and now this generation's truth is different. No, truth is absolute. Truth by its very nature must be exclusive. Two opposing things cannot both be true. Truth is given by the author of truth, not by a man. Truth is given by the author of truth. And truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is important for us to remember, especially when we're going through difficult times or when we're comforting people who are going through difficult times. And an oft-quoted portion of scriptures from the book of Romans, uh, Romans 8 verse 28, beautiful, beautiful verse. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And we love to quote that. And it is true, but we Without, we, we must be aware of the context within, that, within which that verse is found. Otherwise, we can be misled to believe that God will just work things out without any involvement from us. That he'll just, he'll just show up, it will just happen, and we don't have to do anything. But, and that's not true. And if I believe that, then I'm ignorant. Um, here is the context within which we actually find verse 28 of Romans 8 says, likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself make in, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So God can work everything out for good, when we've prayed it so, okay, when we've prayed it so, if we want God to show up and if we want God to show up on time, we need to pray it so, we need to ask him, we need to request it. Otherwise, why would Jesus have taught us to pray? Otherwise, why would we be instructed to pray? Why would he have given us the Lord's Prayer? Why would he have prayed? If God is going to do what he wants anyway, why pray? If God is going to show up when he wants anyway, why pray? 
No, we need to pray. If we want God to show up and show up on time, let's pray it so. Let's ask him. Are you waiting for God to show up? Are you crying out for God in prayer for God to show up? Are you crying out for him to come, him to come into your boat, into your situation, to change your season? I want to encourage you as you do that, as you're crying out, as you're trusting him, as you continue rowing, as you continue dedicated to him, as you pray, God will answer and show up on time. Amen. The fifth lesson that I'm wanting to draw our attention to from this particular portion of scripture is when God shows up, make sure you're ready. Amen. Be ready when he shows up. When God shows up, expect the unexpected. When God shows up, know that things may change. When God shows up, seasons may change. When God shows up, it might not look like what you expected it to look like. It might not look like what you thought it would look like. It might be unlike anything you've ever seen or experienced before. It might even require you to go away that you've never gone before. It might require you to do something you've never done before. It might require you to go in a way that you haven't been trained to go in. I want to encourage us to be ready for when God shows up. And I'm wanting to say God is, gonna, God is about to show up for Go Christian Church. Are we ready? Are we ready? I love what Matthew 14 verse 25 to 27 um, says, it says, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They'd never seen something like that before. They didn't expect Jesus to show up like that. They didn't expect it to look like that. And so what happened? They were afraid. And Jesus said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It didn't look like what the, anything they'd seen. It didn't look like what they expected. And so they were afraid. And I love Peter's response in the midst of this situation. Verse 28, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on, on, onto the water. And verse 29, Jesus says, come. And Peter, when Peter had come down out of the boat, it says he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I love Peter's heart. I love Peter's faith at that moment. And I believe this is a moment that we are in as the church, as Go Christian Church. I believe this is a moment that many of us are in to recognize opportunities. Peter recognized the opportunity. I want to say to you right now that there are opportunities open. There is a season of change happening right now. Things are shifting. It is time to position ourselves differently. Lord, if it is you, Command me to step out would be an appropriate prayer right now. And at this moment, certain natural laws were suspended. In that moment, in the moment that Peter stepped out in faith, certain natural laws were suspended. Things that had always happened didn't happen like they'd always happened when Peter chose to step out in faith. The way things had always been was shifted in that moment. And that is a moment that I believe we are in, we are entering into, we are about, we are around. There are things that are shifting. And I mentioned this in the offering message last Sunday to the, the Centurion Church. And the Lord was 
speaking clearly to me that it's a season for those with entrepreneurial ideas, those with an entrepreneurial unction to step out. It's a season for multiple streams of income to be created for people and, and, and kingdom financiers in our church. And it's a season for those with ideas of things they've wanted to plant or birth or start or run with to start to do it, to do it. Now is the time. Now is the season. And yeah, I think I just am praying. May the Lord help us to see these opportunities. May we see by the eyes of faith. Amen. May he help us to step out in faith. May he give us creative ideas, entrepreneurial ideas, other ideas. May he pour out and flood our minds with his ideas. Amen. The sixth lesson that I'm wanting to mention is when God shows up, seasons change. When God shows up, seasons change. I love this. When Jesus climbed in the boat, John tells us immediately they were at their destination. There was a season change. Something shifted. The wind ceased. There was an acceleration. Something changed. They were at their destination. John 6 verse 21. They, then they willingly received him, that's Jesus, into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. You know, sometimes we look at people when they experience a so-called suddenly and we think, wow, you know, but I really doubt any of them actually experienced a suddenly. I think for many of them, they spent all night rowing. We just didn't see the night of rowing. They had a process to get to that suddenly. We've got processes to get to our suddenly. And God uses the processes for his purposes. In God, the destination is not the only goal. In God, there will always be purpose in the in-between time. There will always be purpose in the winter time. There is always purpose in that all night of rowing season. There's always purpose. You know, if the destination, if the goal, God's goal was to get us to the destination as quick as possible, God would put that on our hearts and God would facilitate that in our lives and in the lives of the disciples in this account too. But God always has a goal in the journey. In fact, Mark informs us in verse 48 that in, in Mark 6 verse 48, then he saw them straining at rowing. This is Jesus saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. That's what it actually says. And, you know, we can feel anxious about circumstances and situations and doesn't mean that God is concerned by them. He knows that he's got us. He knows that he's got you. He's got me. He knows the end from the beginning. Like I said, he sees and he knows where you are. He knows how to get you where you need to be when you need to be there. And is quite happy for you to be doing what you're doing, rowing and rowing and rowing. And he knows nothing will happen to you, even if you're afraid. He knows that you're okay. And Jesus, we see in this example, would have passed them by. But they called out to him and he got in their boat. And, and when he got in their boat, there was an acceleration and they were immediately at their destination. And this is a season to hunger after God. It's a season to invite him into our boats. It's a season to be in prayer. Don't let God pass you by. Don't let opportunities pass you by. Ask God to give, give you um, uh, eyesight to see, vision to see. Um, see the opportunities to see what he's bringing before you, to see where he wants you to step out in faith and to see what fruitfulness he's wanting to bring in your life. 
And that is what I wanted to share this time. I'll continue with this message next week. We'll be discussing a new season. And so in conclusion, I just want to touch on um, a few lessons that I'm wanting to remind us in terms of the passage of scripture we were looking at today. Number one, I want to encourage us that we need to choose to be disciples. Number two, maybe your season hasn't arrived. The season change hasn't arrived. Keep rowing. Keep rowing in the right direction. Keep doing the thing that you know you need to do, knowing that God does see you. That's our third lesson. God does see us. And knowing that as we praying, as we with, as we walking with him, as we trusting him, that at the right time, God will show up. He will show up. At the right time, he will show up. It might not look like what we expect it to look like, but he will show up. And we can trust that when he does show up, seasons will change. And I believe that a season is changing for us as Go Christian Church. Amen. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God of all seasons and you're a God for all seasons, that you're with us through all seasons. We thank you, Lord God, that your plans and purposes will prevail. And today we come before you, Lord God, and we ask for grace to be true disciples, Lord God, to walk in obedience to your spoken word, your preached word, your word in the Bible, your instructions in the Bible to be disciples, Lord God. We pray for grace to persevere and endure through the difficulties, to keep rowing, Lord God, in the midst of storms and wind and waves, to keep rowing even when it feels like you are not aware of our situation. And Lord God, we will choose to remember that you see us and we thank you that you are a God who sees and knows and cares and understands and that at the right time, Lord God, you will show up. And we pray, Lord God, that you will show up and we we thank you lord god that when you show up seasons change and so we thank you for this and we declare a season change over the listeners we declare a season change over go christian church we declare a season change into springtime we declare a season change into new life into new life into new things into fruitfulness and we thank you for this father we thank you for new opportunities coming our way. We thank you, Father, for eyes to see these opportunities. We pray that you would have your way in our lives and in our church in the name of Jesus. And if you agree with me, you can say amen and amen. God bless you.